I'm so thrilled, Kylie, about our new sponsor. It's a brand called Go With Ease, and the founder behind it, Christy, is such a gem. The product is just as good as the person who created it, and vice versa. True story. What Christy and her team have created here, guys, is this little handheld device, and it uses acupressure points in your abdomen. And there are two different sets of points. One of them is even called the poop button. I love that. (laughs) What these two different points help with is relieving things like bloating, gas, constipation, menstrual cramps. It is a wonderful solution, a wonderful tool that doesn't require you to change anything. It doesn't require any extra time other than the one to three minutes that you actually use it to press into these pressure points, right? Mm Yeah. You don't have to take a supplement. You don't have to do a test. You can take it with you when you're traveling. Meg, how many people do you know have a hard time with constipation when traveling? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, so much. So many. I just experienced it myself too. I traveled recently and I was a little off and it was, I really wish I had ease. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It would fit in a suitcase super easily. It's just the size of your hand. You guys can learn more about the actual pressure points and the science behind this by visiting gowithease.com slash Curious Women. And you can use Curious Women at checkout to get a discount for your own Go With Ease tool. I was just telling Kylie how weird I feel today, but I am back, I think. Like this just, I got like a, just a shot. You <laughs> just like, that down, Meg. Who's here? I did. It wasn't yeah. the, the rays of sun in Hawaii that brought her back. It was seeing no. our faces that brought her it back. It was seeing your faces. That is correct. Yes, that is exactly it. <laughs> Let's be clear about where we fall on the list of life-affirming things, yeah, okay? Sunlight that provides energy for the world or our faces. Like, think about this. Your faces, a thousand percent. Kylie and Michelle, way up here. Sunshine oh. and all the good stuff, way down there. We don't clear even care. I'm not surprised. <laughs> You should not be. We only have our faces in New York because there won't be sunshine for six more months. So that's- <laughs> oh. oh, my New God. York exactly. Oh, my God. That's... That is- <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying... So I'll just tell the guests because of what yes. I've done to me already. <laughs> Stabbed her right in the heart. <laughs> I mean, what a start. Kylie. Oh, I really went for it. Kylie brought violence today. I mean, I feel like this was like a ray of sunlight. We're all lighting each other up. And things have been very, I'll tell you right now. So I had mold in my apartment in New York City. Um, I had to move to, I am a native New Yorker from Queens originally, and then lived in Manhattan my whole adult life. And I had to move to Fort Lee for the year because the rents were so nuts in New York and I needed an apartment that was brand new. So Kylie needed to highlight (laughs) I'm in New Jersey and not New York, knowing very well that I have an identity issue about this. You know, I'm just, what am I doing? I'm a mirror for you, Michelle. I'm just mirroring to you the things that really need, you know, work how do we do this <laughs> more like abusive woman this is a terrible podcast don't listen to this episode i'm kidding this is we're gonna have the best part isn't that so yeah. funny there was the other person talking <laughs> <laughs> if this gives you any inclination as to how this conversation is going to <laughs> you should take a moment right now to choose to continue or waiting for next week. Yeah, no, you can go. Don't, but you can, but don't. Come on, we're going to have fun today. 
If you're staying, pause the episode, go get a glass of wine, a white claw, whatever it is that's going to make you happy and just come and party with us. <laughs> it's going to be a party today. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. All right, guys, we have Michelle, who is fast becoming one of our friends, definitely one of our colleagues. She's a dietitian, but I actually would love for you to share a little bit about Share a lot of it if you want, who you are and what you do. And then we're going to kind of let this topic, which is not a topic that Meg and I have talked about yet. No. Um, we've kind of intentionally steered clear of it because we don't really love a lot of the way that the conversation around weight and the way you think about it and look at it and approach it gets discussed. It hasn't been anything that Meg and I really like landed with to want to share with you. Mm-hmm. And then we found Michelle. So who you are and what you do, and then we'll kind of see where things take us. Absolutely. So I am Michelle Shapiro. I'm an integrative functional registered dietitian in New York City from New York City. We'll always be a New Yorker. (laughs) Don't forget it. And I serve, I've served over 1000 clients um, with three primary conditions, helping them to reverse their anxiety, to support their gut um, in either, you know, healing or symptom management, but mostly in in gut healing and reversal of of conditions. And additionally, with a very body neutral approach to weight um, loss. And I say weight Mm -hmm. loss because it really has to, it's a very nuanced topic that we're going to cover. And it really has to come from the intention of the client themselves. So it's really just how to approach your weight in a loving way. And that's, that's the primary people I work with in my practice. Oh my God. I love that. Just the last thing you said, approach your weight in a loving way. I think that's just so missing. Like it's either so far off the mark where it's like a little bit um, to the point where it's hard for people to understand, like a lot of the intuitive eating language, as much as I support it, even I'm confused sometimes by hearing what some of those um, practitioners are saying. And that's where I think most of the love is, which is great, but it's hard to understand. Or then you have this other like drill sergeant, like, no, you've got, if you got want results, you have to work. And it's just like, I'm just feeling so warm and cozy, like, like warm honey listening to those words. And I just needed to say that. So go on. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I, that, go ahead, Kylie. Yeah. I was just, gonna, I was, I want you to say more about what, what you mean when you say with a loving approach, because when I hear that, I think to myself, and this is, this is just me, this won't be everybody. It will be some of you. I think to myself, you're not going to get results because Mm. oftentimes that means making excuses, uh, not sticking to a plan, not staying accountable, not holding yourself accountable. And I think that there's a lot of people that I know who would would hear somebody say that and say, oh, that's never going to work. And then on the other side, Meg, just like what you were saying, there's these like drill sergeants and we know that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So when you were saying this, Michelle, approach your weight with, with love, what is it that you actually mean? Because I think it ties into this neutral stance that you kind of mentioned, which again, we only ever hear about the extremes, this mm-hmm. crazy thing, that crazy thing, but most of us need to exist in the middle. So mm-hmm. Give me a little bit more detail about what what do you mean when you say that? Oh, I have so much to say. So I'm also going to tell you my personal story about what led me to this point. And that's going to help us to understand what I mean when I say approach your weight lovingly. But Kylie, I'm going to pitch something back to you just in this conversation. So I heard you saying there's kind of 
different ways we can approach things. And the way I view it is there's different voices in our head that are telling us different things. It doesn't make us crazy. We all have it kind of like that Pixar movie inside out where there's the little voices that all talk to us. So there's Love a drill voice who's a really protective voice too. There might be a voice who says, screw that voice and do whatever you want. There's kind of all these different voices. And then we have our authentic voice. So when I think about the things in our life that are the most amazing to us and the most important and vital parts of our life, I do believe we get them all with acts of love as opposed to acts of fear. So if you think about, you know, your amazing partner, Kylie, you think Mm -hmm. about how your relationship, even though it could be hard, the way that you, not saying that yours is more than anyone else or anything, but relationships in general being hard, we don't approach those with a sense of fear and urgency and anger and get positive results. So even if they're challenging, you can still approach them with compassion. And that's what's really important. Things can be hard, but still loving. And so I don't want loving to be confused with challenging. And I don't want loving to be confused with easy either. Mm. It just means that you're approaching with a sense of love and respect for yourself. That right there. That yeah. gives context. So what you're saying so is much. approaching something with love doesn't make it easy. It doesn't mean you're letting yourself off the hook. It doesn't mean that you're not doing the hard work. It means that where it's stemming from in your being mm-hmm. is from a place of love. Absolutely. I, I, too. Go ahead, Meg. I think about this, like this makes me think of, and let me know if I'm correct here, but for, I'm trying to like process this in my own brain. And so there are times where like I wake up in the morning and I just... I'm like, I don't want to eat breakfast. I just want to get to the coffee. I just want to get to do what I'm doing, rush through the morning. And there are times where I'm like, no, I am a queen and I deserve to be fed and I need all the nutrients and let me make myself a big, like, and so like, I'm hearing that that it's not that I'm letting myself off the hook. I'm just approaching it with love. Like I deserve this nourishment. And what you're saying is I deserve my body and my journey deserves this attention Yep. And this effort, is that exactly. what you're, okay. And lovingly also means listening to your authentic voice. And it's really mm. hard for people to know what's the intuitive eating voice that they've heard from a healthy at every health at every size practitioner. Mm. What is the drill sergeant voice they learned from a fitness bro and like not, no hate on either <laughs> people, by the way, like all love. But I think it's hard for people to listen to their authentic voice. So, so Meg, even when you said like, listen, queen, you got to like get your stuff done. <laughs> like if that voice was in my head, I would be like, that's not me. You know, Uh but also like there is that part of me that does that sometimes. And there is that like, we can do this, Michelle. And like, again, native New Yorker, Kylie, native New Yorker, (laughs) like the voice that feels most authentic and loving to me doesn't have to be nice. And this, this comes up Mm. with this idea of either compassion or coddling. And I I think that that. we can be really compassionate without coddling ourselves. Meg, I was not insinuating you were coddling yourself. Oh no, I do. It's fine. I love it. (laughs) That's authentically me. I coddle myself. (laughs) needs coddling and sometimes it needs compassion, which means doing the thing in a respectful way. That's also hard. Another definition that I think can help us here is that body neutrality versus body positivity. When I think of body neutrality, which is what I really love and live in the space of it's, you don't have to love your body every day, but you have to respect your body every day. So that's Mm -hmm. what's really important for people is that it's not about toxic positivity. I, I, you're so perfect and beautiful all the time, especially if that feels like you're gaslighting yourself, right? We don't want to gaslight ourselves. That feels like there's more, you know, sympathetic nervous system activation when we do that. So it's important that the voice that you're hearing is like your hardcore, authentic, real you. And that is the epitome 
of what I think is real health is listening to that voice, listening to the signs and symptoms your body is sending you. And a lot of the work I do with clients is learning who's talking in your head, who's sending those signals mm-hmm. to you. And also the premise for my podcast, Quiet the Diet, which is all about lowering Love the voice that. of anyone else, even if they're nice voices, even if they're loving voices, because it has mm-hmm. to come down to you and your authentic voice always. All of this is really identifying the the things that I've always kind of had an issue with in this space, but not really having the words, particularly compassion being confused with, what was the word that you said? Compassion. Yes. Because that is absolutely, a lot of people who are more on the kind of drill sergeant end of the spectrum, that's the message that they preach. And it doesn't come from nothing because sometimes that does happen. But again, recognizing that those extremes are just that, they're the extremes. I, I'm appreciating this sort of recognition that we can be kind and compassionate and to your point, authentic to whatever we are in that, in that moment at that point in time without throwing everything else out the fucking window. Absolutely. Mm. I think it wouldn't be compassionate to eat in a way or not move in a way that would harm us physically, right? That wouldn't be compassionate to do that. What's really hard for people is they have so many competing voices. They have the drill sergeant, they have the overly coddling voice. And Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is they have all these voices going back and forth. And what they hear is screw it. I'm just eating the damn donut. I can't listen to these voices anymore. What people, I really want people to do is from the point of screw it, realize if you walk yourself 10 steps back, there would be huge conversations happening that we don't even realize are happening, but they are so there. So by the time you hit screw it, you've been through a lot already and screw it is my, so my screw it voice specifically is this like hardcore feminist voice that comes out and is like, just eat it. Don't listen to them. <laughs> and, and like, at, by the time she comes out, like, you know, stuff's been like really happening. Cause she only comes out as my ultimate protection mechanism. And that's important to acknowledge too, is that all of these voices are positive and all of them are trying to help us. Like Meg, you're, you're a queen voice. Like that's to help your nervous system. That's to protect you and make mm-hmm. you go outside and help you and give you all these nourishing things. But the drill sergeant voice like that Kylie references, that's also to help you do good things. It's just mm-hmm. that sometimes the voices aren't that effective and helping us do the things we want to do. So we can listen to them and acknowledge them. And that actually makes them chill a little bit. If we ignore them, they scream louder. Mm. What What do you recommend people or how, how is it that you're helping your clients figure out how do you weed through these voices? Yeah, how give do you us find step one. Because this is not like brand new concepts to me. And I mm-hmm. still am like, fuck if I know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. And sometimes I do. And then sometimes you think you do because you're, you're, but you're wrong, right? So what, what are kind of like, is, are there steps? Is there a way? Is it straightforward? Is it not? Yeah. So first of all, everything we do is within the nutritional scope. So this is a play on something called IFS, internal family systems, a psychological mm. theory, but um, we're applying it through a nutritional counseling lens. So we're relating always this information back to someone's relationship with food and, and always focusing on the physical and the mental at the, at the same time. The process I take with clients one-on-one is like an extremely gentle process to the point where by the time someone comes, you know, into my door, I think of it them as a totally blank slate that I'm trying to figure out the pieces of this gorgeous puzzle of their lives. So it takes a really long time. I've worked again with over a thousand clients. Many of them I've seen for over a hundred sessions. So I just know 
these people. And it really, it's like the most amazing gift of my entire life is like those relationships to know someone you even know. I know some of my clients better than I know my friends because you stay with them for a hundred hours. And they're the realest part of themselves. So first of all, engaging in a practitioner relationship that feels extremely safe will start to make those voices feel, I think more and more clear, but you can always build this relationship with yourself too. You don't necessarily need a practitioner for this. So I think that first of all, identifying where the, I would call it the cog in the system is when you get to that point of decision fatigue is really important because that's where you're going to work your way back from. So if you're noticing in ways of health behaviors, you keep pushing a brick wall and you keep doing the same thing and not getting results, find Mm -hmm. out where that moment is where you're deteriorating, where you're like, I just can't do this anymore. Forget it. That's Mm -hmm. the moment you're going to work from. And then when it comes to the actual voices and listening to them, I I literally have clients take a piece of paper and divide it into three parts to start with. And I'm like, tell me who you're hearing. And then we'll literally go through. And I know my client's name. Like I, I know like my, the names of my client's voices. We have visuals for them. That's really important too. Like, so I have myself like a voice that's, we'll call her mean Michelle. I usually call her bitch Michelle, but we'll call her mean Michelle. <laughs> no, no, bitch Michelle is perfectly appropriate. Let's go yeah, with so that. Let's not down. water it down. She bitch wears Michelle. like a leather jacket. She smokes cigarettes. She's wearing red <laughs> lipstick. She's like a hardcore rock and roll. And she'll come out and be like, and she's like the cruelest voice I have, but she's really there to protect me from uh, being super unhealthy, let's say, or something like that. Right. So she comes out and she's like smoking a cigarette. She's throwing it on the ground. And she's like, are you really going to eat that? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's horrible. I'm a bitch. Oh, yeah, my exactly. God. You're a total bitch. I'm like, oh, my God. So when I was – so first of all, this is something we'll backtrack on. But I grew up always occupying a larger body. I was what would have been considered from the ages of about 5 to 18 as overweight or obese. I went on a really dangerous weight loss journey where I lost – and this is a huge tr- issuing a huge trigger warning. Do not do this. But I lost close to 100 pounds in four months before I went away to college. And the voices that came up during that time was a lot of bitch, Michelle. I'll tell you that. And it was a lot of hardcore, critical, really cruel voices that came up. And that voice used to be the main predominant, extremely heavy voice that was in my head that would come up hundreds of times a day. Now she comes up after I listen to her enough and I introduce new solutions and new voices and let everyone have a place and my real self comes out more, she comes up once a year, maybe like once every six months on a bad year. So no. it'll be, she gets one punch in and I'm like, gotcha. <laughs> I'm like, I know what it is. And the second I can hear her coming, I'm like, oh, there's the leather jacket. I can see. So creating a visual for these voices is really important because if you can identify them, you can neutralize them. So just wow. making sure that you can see who they are and create a visual. And then I also associate colors. Like she's black, like the color black comes up and I'm like, oh, Oh, hello. I know who that is. But you get to know them more when you can put a visual to them or a color or something like that, too. Whoa. I want to go do a vision board for all the crazy voices that are in my head. All 17 of them at all times. <laughs> they're all they're all there and they're Yikes. all chat. And this is part of the model that I use to support clients with anxiety, too, because I, I view anxiety as like, this little kid at a playground who wants his mom's attention. So he's like pulling on his mom's shirt, like the family guy sketch where it's like, Lois, Lois, mom, mom. (laughs) The more that she ignores him, the more he pulls on her shirt. Our thoughts are like little kids that want to be heard. They are not always true. Our thoughts are not always right, but they need our attention because they're trying to protect us and save us. And if they can't tell us with through this alarm system that something's wrong, they start freaking out. And then more voices come out and then they start fighting. So I think we need to accept and acknowledge when the voices come up. And that's 
a very long way to say that's the first step in what we do is just start listening Ooh. to the voices. Wow. Which is such an interesting concept because I don't know that people would always necessarily associate those voices as parts of themselves, but rather... Or oh. not parts of themselves. Oh, interesting, Meg. That's anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's just no, that's I didn't even hear you. What'd you say? Kylie was saying she didn't know if people would interpret those voices as parts of themselves. Yeah. And I said, or not parts of themselves. Like right. before, you know, right. like there was a once I'm just speaking. I'm yeah, no, no, let me <laughs> that was it. I go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just thinking that a lot of times people will, and we all hear this all the time. So-and-so says I should do this. So-and-so says I should do that. This person practices cha-cha-cha. And then those people almost become voices. Right. But then it's like there's a, there's a part of this where we have to take, it sounds like, ownership of the fact that it, we can call the voice that person's name. Yeah. But it's actually... So it got into us somehow we allowed it in. Right. And so like there are certain people that I can think of immediately for myself where I hear them say like when I'm thinking about, oh, I don't know if I really have the energy to work out today. I hear certain voices that are like X, Y, Z. Never, never thinking before that those are actually voices that I already had. I'm just associating it with that particular person or people. It could um, be voices from someone else. It could be a a childhood response to voices from parenthood. Mm-hmm. It could it, it really could be, but what all of them are is positive and protective. We don't like them all. They don't help <laughs> us the way we want them to, but every single one of them is trying to save your life in one way or another. So we have to as part of this like IFS or parts theory in, in applications of nutrition within our scope is understand that these are all really positive. They're all there to help us. So it could be imprinted. I don't think we should actually take accountability for if a voice in times of trauma or stress, our body is going to try to find solutions. So the reason that these voices are appealing to us at that point or imprint on us is because they would have served us at one point or another. For my body being a larger body, when I was, you know, I grew up super diverse neighborhood in Queens. I was going to the University of Delaware, which is much less diverse. And I was like, dude, you have to lose weight because they're not going to know like you're Michelle Shapiro and you're super cool or whatever the heck, you know, I thought whatever word I would have used to describe myself. (laughs) I had like a really amazing life in Queens, which was a much more diverse place of body, gender, race. And I knew going into school, like, oh, this is going to be like a lot of the same type of people and they're going to judge me differently. So I knew that. So my urgency voice, my bitch Michelle voice was like way sky high because she was like, you're going to have a societal issue. And, and we know that loneliness is as dangerous to the body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day is, is the quantifiable mm-hmm. number that we have for this. So again, not knowing that something could impair my ability to make friends or to be safe in a new state, my protection mechanism was high. So there was a place for that version of me, but mm-hmm. I, I wish that she didn't come out because there's also a lot of deleterious effects of weight loss when it's drastic. So, you know, it's, it's like, right. we have to appreciate and like the voices, even if we really don't like the voices. <laughs> that feels like a really, really vital part of allowing this approach to work mm-hmm. because I, I, it feels like if, if you can't approach it with 
that kindness with yourself and say like, I might not, this might not be serving me in the way that I need it to, but it's trying to and recognize that you're just going to be really, really in a bad spot because everything will be feeling like it's attacking. Does Is that? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think it's just having a, 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 just a level like, right. Of compassion and kindness for yourself to understand that your body is literally just trying to keep you alive. You're just trying mm-hmm. to keep you going. It's all it's trying to do. And our hormones help us to do that. And we know that like our, our female sex hormones, our, our stress hormones are super sensitive to stress in the same way that our mental state is. And our body is always communicating with us. Here's a blueprint for staying alive. It's just that it gets really complicated in our modern world because there's a lot of threats, honestly. So yeah. it becomes really complicated. So what I yeah. think, you know, we wanted the crux of this conversation to be about is how do we pursue body neutrality or body positivity and still think it's okay to lose weight? Because we're, we're all seeing the split in the nutrition world right now. It, yeah. it feels like there's like a body positivity crew and like a diet culture crew and anything that's like not body positive straight up is like diet culture. And it feels like there's only two camps right now. And I know that's felt really frustrating for people, certainly Mm -hmm. for me. It is impossible. Actually, okay, this is a great segue. Can you, I want to create a little structure around what you just said. Can you give us a little bit of explanation about what both of those things are? Body positivity, diet culture, like what are some of those kind of like shiny words that would fall into each category? And then I want to kind of bring it in the middle, which is explaining what body neutrality is and Mm. what the applications of that look and feel like and why it might be a better, more reasonable solution than these extremes. That was a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So when I think of body positivity, no, actually, I think laying the framework is perfect. Let's, let's call it two camps, even though there's really not two camps, by the way. And besides body neutrality, I actually think there's a, a, a camp inside of body neutrality, which is functional nutrition, which works really well for the three of us, I'd say. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's three, there's a middle ground and then two sides, let's call it. So on one side in the body positivity crew, we think about practitioners who are maybe health at every size certified. It's, it's abbreviated. I might use the term haze, which really the main premise of this style of practitioner is not to pursue intentional weight loss and to give adequate healthcare services to people regardless of their size, which it's hilarious that we have to have a practitioner who does that because every freaking practitioner in the world should show respect to everyone Mm -hmm. of every body size. But very unfortunately, there's tremendous weight bias in our society, tremendous weight bias in doctor's offices. So -hmm. it is the belief of health at every size practitioners that you should not intentionally pursue weight loss, A, because efforts are generally futile, and B, because there could be psychological damage with doing that. You can develop an eating disorder or disordered relationship with food. Um, and then within that body positivity camp, let's also say there are intuitive eating counselors and intuitive eating is a set of 10 principles and kind of a pathway to supporting healing your relationship with food. I just have to say right off the bat, health at every size practitioners, the premise in ways of morality is hundred percent correct. There's nothing wrong with it. Can't poke holes in it. Intuitive eating, love the principles. I think it's absolutely correct. What we've seen from these totally correct schools of thought and style of practitioners is kind of people who have veered off into the section of what I would call the all foods fit group. So they'll work, they're going to be like the most right side, not, not politically, but they're going to be the most right. They're going to be the most right side of our paradigm. If diet culture is on the left and body positivity is on the right, they're kind of the furthest on the right and all foods fit crew. Let's say are practitioners who post infographics saying like, all food in moderation. If you, if you enjoyed Oreos as a child, you need to 
in, inspire the same memories as when you were a child. They're in the more coddling section. I do believe that intuitive eating and health at every size are very much in the compassionate section. So I, I, I would say that now on the other side, again, the diet culture people would definitely be like, you're promoting obesity and all this like ridiculous <laughs> stuff. And I'm going to tell you like any conversation I'm a part of, we're not having that conversation. If you, right. if you don't understand the morality that people who are in larger bodies deserve the same respect and care of people in quote unquote normal bodies, we're not having a conversation. There's just not, that's too mm-hmm. silly for me. The whole Lizzo thing, it's all so ridiculous. I, I'm only here to have nuanced conversation. Not you guys. I mean, people in general. <laughs> I'm only know. here to have nuanced conversations. <laughs> I'm not even in, in life. I'm saying these girls are so not like that, but I'm not engaging conversations <laughs> with when it's not nuanced like that. So we're talking yeah. about nuance here. We're talking about the, right. the tiny minutia of what makes these things different. Again, because there's a big difference between the all foods fit and health at every size practitioners right? And intuitive eating. And then on the left side of our diagram would be diet culture, which to me would be in my most broad term, like any predatory marketing strategies by a diet company, any fad diets that do not have strong scientific bases that are not individualized Mm -hmm. and not supportive for clients, right? Mm -hmm. And in diet culture, I would also say we have to kind of think about where food marketing comes in too, in that we've been marketed these really like low quality diet mm. foods, low fat crap for so long. Yep. And that mm. kind of falls into diet culture and they have a meeting of the minds a little bit. I also mm. feel like there's food marketing issues on the right side, which we can talk about too. But I think yeah. there's there, there's definitely a, a big piece of food marketing that's important in this. So what's unfortunately happened for functional dietitians is that anything that's not, that could lead to health outcomes or weight loss is now being perceived as diet culture. Because remember, one of the functional, important foundational tenets of health at every size is that you should not pursue intentional weight loss. You can pursue health goals, but you cannot pursue weight loss intentionally. So something like a functional dietitian who's using, I would say like something as, you know, like lemon water to support stomach acid, that's now falling in the realm of diet culture somehow. And I'm like, no, we're in the middle. We're in the middle. Uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of a, a dichotomy issue. And it feels like people, if you are giving people supportive tools for their health, it's, it's going against body positivity, which really isn't true at its core, but it feels mm-hmm. like that in this weird system. I hope that did that lay the framework enough for what's going on. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think yeah. you really started to explain too, how something on either side that's well-intended mm-hmm. has somehow morphed into attacking each other really which which ultimately is leaving the people the normal yeah. person who's curious and trying kind of in the middle and and getting beat up from both sides which is and where lost. Um, but, uh, yeah and lost confused and lost. yeah lonely lonely mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, scared and not knowing where to turn for their health issues. This is a huge problem I'm seeing right now. And I, I just made a post about this because I'm going crazy about it. But <laughs> the biggest issue in the dietitian world right now in the nutrition world is that two dietitians can have completely different understandings of nutrition and completely different approaches. Because we don't really have in the dietetics world any sort of nutritional consensus. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we have like the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, but like most people don't really like love the recommendations of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. (laughs) We don't really have one central place where all of us meet. So I would say the people on the diet culture side, even on the hardcore diet culture side, their goal is in their head to get people healthy. They're doing the best they can to do that. 
on the extreme all foods fit side of the body positivity crew, they're also doing everything they can to help people get healthy. But there are fundamental belief system differences of what healthy means. I think the body positivity crew really believes that health comes from psychological health. And Mm -hmm. I, I do take a little bit of issue with that because I do believe, of course, as a functional dietitian, the three of us have all seen radical healing with our clients with very specific, I know certainly, you know, with both of you with gut protocols and things Mm -hmm. like that. I know that there is radical healing is possible. And for me to know that I can't only focus on the mindset and relationship with food. We got to focus on everything else. I can't sit on this information and and gatekeep it. It's so Mm -hmm. important that we do both. Yeah. You know, I'm going to speak just, you know, as a practitioner for a second, and hopefully you guys can hear maybe some of the people that you have worked with, maybe get a little bit of background about where they're coming from, whether you've had good experiences or bad experiences. But when you are trying to navigate, remember, we're just people too. We are human beings too. And we have to navigate this whole system that we're talking about ourselves in order to teach it and guide people as the professionals in in the industry. And one of the things that is a natural sort of um, inclination is to identify yourself and your practices as one thing or another. Meg does acne. I do gut health. Yeah. And because otherwise it is too overwhelming to be able to be helpful to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and this is just kind of coming to me as you're talking, Michelle, is that so many people find themselves in these really extreme camps, again, for a good reason, whether they're practitioners or people who are just trying to, to get healthy. It's because if you can, if you tune everything else out, you have a focal point. And that hopefully will allow you to kind of make progress. The problem often is, is that you can only progress so far before it no longer makes sense and you get to a point of needing to pivot, which is terrifying once you've already established and identified yourself as one thing. Yeah, it, it is. And I think also practitioners are super scared of like, quote unquote, getting canceled and stuff like that. I think that like I play a very delicate game of Middle you do ground. a great job. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, because I can tell you that I truly believe that like a, a vast majority of practitioners are absolutely trying to help people. That is the goal of what they're doing. Yes, do they want to make money along the way? Yes, but I want practitioners who are even more on the, you know, maybe the more diet side to also like, dude, I know you're trying to help people too. Like we, it's, it's like, I don't, if I want people to not attach morality to their food choices and to their health choices, I also don't want people to attach morality to practitioners for the recommendations they're making. People are trying to do the best they can. I think everything in life and in health is all about neutralizing and not categorizing things as so black and white. It feels really hard to make any food decision again, because now what's happening is people are trying to make healthy food, healthful food decisions and they're going, wait, is this going to screw up my relationship with food? Wait, is is this going to you know, actually make me gain weight? Now we have a whole new layer of thoughts and the different people in our heads coming out because we're trying to balance, again, the psychological component and the physical component. And I think the strategy that's best is just finding a way to listen to yourself so that you don't have to worry about where is this coming from? You'll know. It's from you. I think we also have most of the nutrition information we need 
right now for anyone to make health changes. I think we, I think we're at a good point. I think we've gotten to that point. And I know nutrition can be extremely individualized and for that reason, very confusing for people, but it's also like quite basic. Don't do things that feel horrible for you. Listen to what your body wants. And if something makes you feel better, do more of it, but not in excess. And if there's something that makes you feel crappy, find a way to support yourself out of it. I think it's like, it is, it does come down to that. And any neutral practitioner, because practitioners should really be neutral. And to be honest with you, Kylie, the only thing I'll say is I don't think nutrition, I don't think dietitians should be so niche down that they don't look at the whole picture. And I don't believe, obviously you do that. I'm saying in a general sense, because that is at the exact heart of conventional medicine and at the exact non-heart of functional nutrition. We as functional nutritionists believe every part of the body influences every other part of the body and that everything's a cascade effect. So we can't really look at one person for one thing that's going on with them. If you're a blood sugar dietitian, well, are you talking about how your blood sugar influences your thyroid? Because then you need to be a thyroid dietitian too. I think it's really important for us to, we can work on certain conditions, but we have to work from a functional standpoint, which is how your thoughts, behaviors, and actual nutrients influencing your health overall. No, I think, I think the, the point being that practitioners still have to look at things from the root cause is really important. So even if they feel specialized, they should still be looking at it from an overall standpoint. Yeah. Whew. I just need a second to download all of that. <laughs> I'm just, I feel you so guys seen. breathing thing, leave this part in, is the funniest thing in the entire world. <laughs> the way that you're both absorbing and processing information in the most dramatic, hysterical way, you're like, hold on, hold on, please. I'm not... We're just talking, ladies. We're just talking. It's funny because I feel like there are certain people that we bring on where I'm like, I already pretty much know what they're going to say. We already practice. Like this is this is more for them than us. And then there are a lot of people where it's it is it's a really nuanced version of a very popular topic, and so it it becomes more like. I'm the listener and we're interviewing at the same time. And sometimes I just need a minute. <laughs> I know. I just need a fucking minute. Come on now. Get, <laughs> let me get my shit together. <laughs> oh, I didn't know I was coming to a tea party today, ladies. My God. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. That's the thing. You did know. <laughs> I am That's true. Best with afternoon tea. And I go to like, I've been to every afternoon tea and like every... Any city I travel to, I'm like, where can I get the afternoon tea? Which is so <laughs> antithetical to what you think I would be doing socially, but I just, like loves going to afternoon teas so much. So yeah, I we're always drinking tea together. Always. Do That's not always. picture <laughs> you. I do not picture Michelle. Hey, what do you want to do today? Want to go to afternoon tea? No, I'm I want to do you one better. <laughs> I, I throw entire birthday. So I'm an obsessive tablescaper, which is within the realm of what people would think about me because I'm very aesthetic. Like I like things like being very pretty. So I'm an obsessive tablescaper. So I will tell you that first ridiculous. My, my 21st birthday party, this is important information for listeners. I'm crying. My 21st birthday I was hardcore vegan. Do not recommend that, obviously. But I was hardcore vegan. I made all of my friends, like 25 of my friends sit at a vegan restaurant and we like drank weird tea. And it was like this, it was like based on a, a guru. Like it was a vegan restaurant based on a spiritual guru. And we were like sitting on the floor drinking tea and they were like, you trying to drink? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to have tea at this vegan restaurant. <laughs> and then I made like my birthday, my 30th birthday. We also went to afternoon tea at this like extremely nice hotel in the city. It's like, yeah, we're just doing afternoon tea. <laughs> yeah. I 100% picture Michelle with a Cosmo. 
like oh, yeah. very I'm sex not- in the city. <laughs> yeah, but I will say wedding afternoon tea are like chic as hell. So there's definitely like there's it's like the most beautiful ornate like it's just you know people go into nature. I'm like let me find like the most chic beautiful Manhattan hotel Cheap and. and- <laughs> And then only – also, like, I obviously only eat dinner, like, before 5 p.m. because I, like, I'm a very early person. So it's, like, that's a perfect time for me to eat, 1 p.m. afternoon tea. It's perfect. <laughs> Great. Michelle's authentic voice has a china teacup in her hand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How many? All right. That was – yeah. Oh, that was a side oh note God. we needed to know about you, which no. is a good segue. Yeah. yeah. Because I, <laughs> I, I want to know, I want you to tell us <laughs> with tea in hand, what, <laughs> tell us, maybe like in the succinctest possible way, like at <laughs> the heart. Actually, for those of you who can't see this, she actually, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Was, I have to it, know I, I had, it was just lemon water, but it was heated. Lemon water. Oh. <laughs> It's tea. Whoa, well, no. So it's tea. It's lemon tea is what it is. <laughs> Meg, take a guess. What was I drinking in here? Oh, my God. Okay, so I... I did not get it here. I want to... Oh, the the, the mm. latte that you like. The What is it? Oh, the, oh my God. It's some crazy latte that I was no. like, what is it? What? No, it's I'm an... totally... Hot. It's hot. What's that say? A52? Is that ABC? ABL. ABL. <laughs> No, what is it? Oh, almond butter latte. That's the oh, one. Yes. Ooh, that sounds so good. I know. It is oh, so amazing. good. It's so good. I'm not even drinking it and it hits the spot. Every time you I say know. it, I'm like, oh, oh that's that so you've got latte. something you've got something hibiscusy over there, don't you? I do. It's my red wow. hibiscus tea. I do have some um of us at all in here. What is brand? It what? Oh, is it peak tea? I like their crystals for the hibiscus tea they have. Oh, I like I, I know. Isn't he cute? For those of I you who hasn't, have friend. not seen this guy yet, this is my little tea infuser. I he looks like he's peeing. Doesn't? Oh, he do, oh he does. He it's does. Okay. That's if he all has, right. No, he has to go. All right. That's exactly. <laughs> we'll just here. We'll bring him for a little swim. He's gonna take a little dunk. How the hell are we gonna get back? We're never. Gonna I get can't. Back. It's not gonna we happen. Can't, we can't come back from here. No. Yes, we can. However, um, <laughs> I can't. Turning into one of the worst podcasts of all time. This is amazing. undone. Undone. No, no I'm having. <laughs> I'm not listening. having this, right? I think this is all no way. No, all yeah, this is this is all. Stuff. I I warned you first. Yeah. You had an opportunity to exit, and you had to. <laughs> and obviously, at this point, even if you're fed up, you have to finish. I understand. Yeah, we gotta, we're doing no, it. I'm make. I'm winking. We're gonna get back to topic. <laughs> topic oh no for sure we're gonna get it's gonna be great very serious i warned him uh, we will not be done by four (laughs) we'll be done by seven (laughs) well we will because you'll be in bed yeah yeah i'm like i'm like whoa it is 346 should we (laughs) we have to be michelle's getting hungry we have to wrap this up it's It's breakfast tomorrow morning time for me before i hit the hay all right let's go all right i want you to tell us i want you to tell us what is body neutrality at its core what is it how does it look how does it feel and then how is it that you teach this because like what does that what is it that people are learning how do they implement it yeah so i 
I'm going to use the sentence I used before, and then I'm going to actually talk about more application, but it means that we don't have to love ourselves. We do have to respect ourselves. And what that looks like is when we are body neutral, it means we have taken the morality out of our food choices. And what I mean by that is we don't eat something and then say, oh, I'm so bad for eating that, or this food is inherently bad. There are Mm -hmm. some foods that promote health and some foods that don't promote health as much. Some Foods promote disease more than others. There's not one food in the world that's going to kill you, but cumulatively, some types of foods will do that. So when we can view those foods as just data for what our body needs and we can respond to what our body's telling us, that's what body neutrality is. It's making decisions based on authentically what is best for your health and your mind and all those things, which means sometimes it could be, you know, me having all those afternoon tea sandwiches. And then sometimes... Mm. Yes. Not. It really doesn't matter because it's not the food itself that matters. Body neutrality is approaching any decision that you're making about your body with the best of intentions from your most authentic self. And then do do one more layer of this for me because I really want to highlight what makes what you just said, body neutrality, how is that specifically different from body positivity and health at every size and all foods fit. Like where is the thing that differentiates those two things? So there is body. I think that body neutrality is a, a more neutral, an easier, a more palatable, let's call it way of saying body positivity. I do believe Mm -hmm. that the core of body positivity is body neutrality. I believe that they're pretty synonymous, but in society, when we hear body positivity, what people hear is accept yourself and coddle yourself no matter what. I don't believe that's true for what it is, but I think it's more palatable for people who cannot understand body positivity at its core is is loving yourself. I think it's easier to say, let's just make decisions that feel more, let's call it intentional than intuitive. I think intentional decisions are easier for people than intuitive decisions when you can't access that voice. And a a lot of times with that body positivity, we're getting a toxic body positivity, which is another phrase that's important, which is you're great. Everything's great. No matter what, you look awesome. You're perfect just the way you are, which feels totally like gaslighting for a lot of us. Totally. totally authentic to what we are actually experiencing. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Okay. No, that's really helpful because I think uh, it's a, it's a, it's a thin line. Mm-hmm. It's a thin line. And it really does seem like it's the, in, it's the inside intention that kind of makes the difference. But this idea that certain words that we're using to describe very similar things, it makes a big difference. When you say intuitive, certain people are going to tune out. You're, exactly. You are just not accessing a large majority of people. They don't understand it. They don't connect with it. When you're talking about an authentic self, intuitive is not a part of who they feel they are. It's not going to happen. But intentional is just kind of neutral. Yes. We're bringing it back. Exactly. And we're using neutral words that feel more comforting to people's nervous systems. Mm. And I think, again, where the people who are probably not like actual diet culture people, but help people to pursue intentional health changes who get wrapped up in the diet culture thing do not sit well with intuitive eating is the fact that the, the foods that we eat and, you know, this, I always hear this and this is again, not a nuanced view, but they're like, I, I, I would like to intuitively eat Oreos. And it's like, that's not intuitive eating at all. Intuitive eating is about right. honoring your hunger, listening to your body, like considering the satisfaction you eat with food. It's, it's like a very well vetted and really smart way to actually access again, 
a better style of eating that fits you, I would say. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, I think it's very unpalatable for people on the diet culture-ish side to hear intuitive eating too, because they're like, A, I don't feel like I can access my own intuition. A lot of people fall over there because they actually want people to tell them what to do because they don't feel comfortable or safe listening to themselves. But in their lives, they haven't, they have learned that they are wrong and they're not to be trusted. So you have to have some level of self-trust coming into intuitive eating that feels very icky for people from a nervous system standpoint. I think that throws people off. And the other thing that throws people off and definitely throws me off is if in the, the idea that hyper palatable foods can influence the voices in our head that tell us what's makes Mm. for eating from a psychological standpoint, pretty ineffective because we can't really intuitively eat when we're being blocked from hearing the correct voices sometimes. So sometimes you need both. I also want to just, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's kind of like my main point of confusion as a dietitian when it comes to intuitive eating is because we have so much science showing us how these hyper palatable foods at what you were saying is they can influence the voices, but we actually know they influence your hormones too. They and influence your, your neurotransmitters. Based on those hormones, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like, yeah. So can you re- tell us again, how how do we navigate that? Because I'm just, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people yeah. listening being so, like, the fuck do we do with this? <laughs> the ultimate goal of intuitive eating is also to like, one of the goals is to liberate food restrictions because the the body positivity crew believes that what drives binge eating is restriction. So that is one way to approach binge eating. And it is one absolute potential cause. Under eating can cause binge eating, not eating the right nutrients can cause binge eating, and mental restriction of food can cause binge eating. The point that is not taken into account is that the foods themselves can cause binge eating too, because they have the capacity to override our body's ability to make decisions. So this is something that I will say I do believe needs a little more work on the body positivity side of things, because I don't really believe that all foods fit for all people. And and certainly I'll tell you, I work with people who can be really chronically ill. And if you say, oh yeah, you know what? Gluten's a made up thing. Like it's not, no, you know, not gluten itself. The idea that gluten is harmful is a made up thing. You can eat all the gluten you want. It's so unfair and exclusive to people who are suffering from chronic illness because they sure as hell know they cannot just eat some damn gluten. They're going to be sick for a week, you know? So I tell my clients who could be constipated for four freaking weeks from eating gluten once. And like, Mm -hmm. again, obviously the approach is not to just cut out gluten. You have to heal their guts and and support them in all these ways with your amazing supplements. Duh, hello. But (laughs) but I think that like, again, it's, it's so, the intuitive eating thing is so hard for people who are suffering from chronic illness. And this is something I really want to hammer home. And I'm so glad that my brain just went this way because I view intuitive eating and body positivity as step one. I don't view Mm. it as the only game in town. So I believe it's part of the process. So when someone is hearing nutrition information, it's very variable for how they'll receive it. And what I mean by that is let's take Mm. nutrition information as a metaphor is like a knife, right? So a knife is a great tool for cutting, for cooking food. We need it for things, right? And it's also something that someone could use to harm someone else or themselves. So people can weaponize nutrition information if they're not in the right state of mind to receive it. That doesn't mean you never give them the information. 
It means right. that you make sure they're in a comfortable state to receive it. So that would mean probably doing something like liberating food restrictions and doing something like intuitive eating as much as possible. And then you can introduce food recommendations. I'll know if someone's ready to receive it from their body language. So I could say like, when I say the word carbs, how do you feel? And if a listener is hearing this, they might go, well, I can't even <laughs> begin that. If I said, what, what would eating, you know, a specific amount of carbs feel like to you? And they're like, overwhelming. It's not your time. Mm-hmm. Work on that relationship with food first. So there's a, there's a season for these changes in our lives too. And we need to view our health like a process as opposed to viewing our health as you can only be intuitive eating or you can only be diet culture. It's a process. Mm-hmm. There's a point where you can make intentional food changes, but you, you probably got to get that relationship with food a little, a little smoother first. Wow. I'm, I'm grateful that you went there because one of my next questions was going to be, what do we do with people who are actually sick, mm-hmm. but, totally. but yeah. don't do well. Maybe they have a history. I mean, I, I have people coming like, across my, across me like this all the time where it's like, I, I'm sick. Everything I eat makes me feel bloated. I am super constipated or I have a lot of diarrhea. I don't feel good when I consume food. Anytime I use my GI tract, I feel unwell, mm-hmm. but I have a history of, disordered eating. And I'm very afraid of what doing something about not feeling well will, I'm worried about how that will impact my mental health. I'm worried about how, what the longevity of the healing process physically might be for me mentally. Those are really hard cases, but this is really the intersect of these two worlds. And I think the most important message here is that we separate them ourselves because it's easier to identify things. And that's a natural thing. We do that all, we do that across the board with everything as human beings. But the reality is that, and really, Michelle, what you are creating and the way that you practice is actually this third hill that is the intersection of all of these things. And it can be done. So people listening, I know a lot of you, and I know that you fall in this category, and here's your silver platter, right? You don't have to separate them and be, have them live in two totally different worlds. You can prioritize things, is what I'm hearing you say, Michelle. Is you can say, I'm going to start here and tackle that, and then I can move on to this, and then I can move on to that. Oh, this doesn't feel good anymore. I'm going to go back to this, and allowing that that process for the process to one, be a process and be a little bit more fluid, right? This is, this is the interweaving, which is really where most things lie. Almost nothing was done. I believe in my heart of heart, the functional nutrition is like the future of healthcare. I believe that we are like at the forefront. I, I love functional nutrition because I'm like, this is all the things it's compassion. It's good science. It's, it's really listening to our bodies. And I, that is like a real functional nutrition, not just like here, take the supplement and go away. That's not functional mm-hmm. nutrition at all. And I, the word you use priority rang so true for me. And I, mm-hmm. I need to say like, if a client comes to me with a serious gut issue, we're not like only working on their relationship with food. We're like you said, we're playing a little bit. Hey, how does this feel? Hey, how does this feel? And you can always do things in functional nutrition for symptom management in the short term while you're working on something in the long term. If there's an actual allergy or something that's going to cause a greater issue for them and it needs to be priority, what we do is find out how to, with like minimal risk and damage as possible, employ whatever strategy we need without sacrificing that relationship with food. So I might say, listen, 
all right, glutinous, ter- poor gluten, it's getting a bad rap today. It kind of always does. <laughs> but gluten is tearing you up. You're sick so much after you eat gluten. Gluten is not inherently bad. Right now, your immune system is overreacting to it. Let's just talk right now. What solutions can we come up with to get you a little gluten-free? It can be gluten-free cupcakes. I don't care. If that's the thing that's driving your symptoms right now, and we've noticed that, let's listen to your body and listen to what it's telling us and honor it in a super gentle way. Gluten's not bad. Right now, it's not rocking with you. Data. That's always when you know it's okay to make a change when it feels like data. It's just like, yeah, it's just not the thing right now. you know. And I do this with my own health all the time. It'll be like, I'll be like, oh, this would be sick, Michelle. Let's go on a low carb diet. Like, let's do this. Let's get, you know, we want the autophagy. Let's do all this cool fasting stuff. Like, I'm like, science. <laughs> Three days in, I'm waking up in the middle of the night with like a horrible cortisol response. I'm like, all right. Well, we learned that it was a great idea. So sometimes also it's about just trying things and seeing. Totally. And like, oh my God, the no gluten thing, maybe binge on gluten really hard. That so didn't work. It's like, great. Also, who told you to binge on gluten? What voice was that? Let's explore that. So the failures of that are also so powerful too. So mm. it's okay to play and try things. Just saying, no, we can't cut gluten because it equals an eating disorder is so inauthentic and non-compassionate. We need to leave all tools on the table and use those tools at the right, perfect time for the person. So for somebody who's listening and is really resonating with your message and really resonating with your approach and hears you say all tools have to be on the table, where would you, because we went over a lot today. Like there's a (laughs) lot of really awesome things that you've given us places to start and a lot of nonsense, but it's necessary (laughs) nonsense. Absolutely. We can like so. (laughs) Where, where is the like absolute, this is where you start what it, what does that look like for somebody who's really wants to do something on their own, but it just kind of is feeling a little overwhelmed with all that we've talked about today? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, any any health journey, the first thing I want you to do, person, is write down every sign and symptom that you're experiencing right now. I want you to assign as something that you could tell a doctor. So that would be like something that is tangible, right? You have a rash. Your blood pressure is this number. It's a lab. Signs, symptoms are things that you experience, but are not as tangible. So like you get stomach aches. It feels like this much pain. Um, You have a headache. It feels like this. Um, You have anxiety. It's experienced like this. Understand that your brain and body are constantly trying to communicate with you and start bridging that gap. So I would say the first thing you can do is just understand what's going on in your health. And then you see this list of like some good things and some bad things. And you're like, oh, my body's going through like a lot and it's trying to send me a signal. Let me start listening in. So the first thing is to just basically pick up the phone between your brain and your body and say, I'm listening essentially. And you can Mm. tangibly do that too. Hey, I'm listening. The other thing that is really powerful and and certainly within the the realm of what we do in functional nutrition is write a timeline of your health. Write Mm. that timeline down. Like what happened from birth until now that's led you to this moment and understand that every single thing that's happened in your life has led you to this moment. Just understanding your health will ha- will help you make better food decisions. Once you do those activities and really get to know yourself a little more on that plane, I think your real voice is going to start to naturally come out a little bit more. You can do the activity I said where you divide your paper into three and start to listen to those voices. But anything that, that you're doing from this, we need to do through the lens of nervous system support also. Because if you you know, I, I have an example where I have this incredible client and she's from a, a society and uh, a place where women's voices are very suppressed. And it's a, a religious society where it, it's, it's quite oppressive. And 
let me tell you, we had to pull that voice out of her because it was really hard for her to hear that voice because it was a voice that was legally not allowed to be used, right? Wow. So it, oh, it's not I just got safe. like such a pain in my chest. Oh. When she, we actually were in a session and she was like, she said something and I was like, by the way, I know her voice. I'm like, there you are. That's you. And mm. she just, it was like such an emotional moment. And then I was like, I dude, bet. that's the money. That's what we're doing here. You think we're talking about cauliflower? I don't care about grams of fiber. Like, this is what <laughs> we're doing. This is where the money is. And all of functional nutrition is, is the, the point and idea is that our whole bodies are connected. So the more you can connect from a somatic experience, your body to your brain, the more the healing happens. So I would say those tips and then also just really listening to your nervous system because there's time to dig into your health and time to dig into these voices. And there's time to just relax too. And that's really important. So check in with yourself more than you think you have to constantly check in with yourself, know where you are, know where you've been. And, and then from that, you'll learn where you're going. Wow. Thank you for that. I think those are really solid steps to take for sure. And what, just one small clarification, when you say check in with your, with yourself, are you just saying like, stop what you're doing and be like, Hey, yeah. how am I feeling right now? Quite Is literally, that what you're saying? Literally okay. warm. Okay. Check in with yourself. Hi, how are you doing down there? How are things okay. going? See who responds. Maybe someone protective will respond. And again, be comfortable with the idea that these conversations are happening in all of us. Be mm. comfortable with the fact that you might want, not want to hear them. And if you get to a point where you hear something that feels ugh, too sticky, walk away. It's okay. Mm. And, and another thing is, again, if you're doing any of this work on your own, first of all, if you need the support of a therapist, please get that support of a therapist. Right. Additionally, if things get a little too sticky, because they can, it can be like, I'm not in the mood to deal with that. Just physically shake it out. Shake yeah. it up. I do right hand five times, left hand five times, right leg five times, left leg five times. Physically shift your vagus nerve and your neurological system mm. when you need to. And, and awesome. know that sometimes it's time to fight and sometimes it's, it's time to lay down and, and cuddle up. That's that approaching the process with love and compassion, which is different than coddling, right? You're, this is not an example of saying like, well, you don't have to deal with that. Because you are, in a sense, dealing with it simply by acknowledging it and listening to it and choosing to tackle it more specifically later, right? Like that's still a choice. Absolutely. Exactly. I yeah. think the word, I, you know, I'm a huge Harry Potter person. Another thing I learned <laughs> about today, that huge Harry, oh, I know you were too, Kylie. So I'm a huge Harry Potter person. And wow. I, I didn't know that either. Knew I, I loved you. And I almost got the word that if there's like this Dumbledore quote, it's not our abilities that define who we are. It is our choices. And I almost like, when I was like 17, I was like, I'm getting this tattooed to my body. The word choice. <laughs> <laughs> choice. It, we we can use the word choice to be harmful or we can use the word choice to be super empowering. And for me, it feels super empowering in that choice just means autonomy. I don't, I don't care what the intuitive eating people are saying or what the diet culture people are saying. None of it matters a, an ounce to me if it doesn't apply to my clients and it doesn't apply to my life. So it's like, take every decision that you make, know that you are the boss of that. And I know that can be scary for people, but you'll get more comfortable with it over time. And just the choice is yours is the most important thing. And that is like, even though, you know, again, it can feel overwhelming, but it's, it's, it's all you, you got it. I think that actually brings up and we don't have to dive into this because it's a whole separate thing, but, and, and you kind of alluded to it before, but people don't want to be responsible for their choices. And I don't mean, I mean, sometimes that's on a huge, broad sense, but I mean, when it comes to nutrition, because if it goes badly, 
that's on you. And it ends up feeling like another opportunity for failure for a lot of people. And, and I think that's where a lot of this hardcore diet culture comes in, because if I give up my choices, I don't have to take blame if it doesn't work. It's keto's fault. It's carnivore's fault. It's vegan's fault because it wasn't the right fit for me. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that even though it's sticky and feels uncomfortable, the more you take ownership of the fact that you do have decisions and choices and should, the closer to the healthier version of the mental part of all of that, we're going we're gonna to get you. So I want to I wanna give slack to people who outsource their power to others because I believe it's a, it's, it's a really a societal issue and I believe it, it comes from this model of Western medicine, which is that your body is broken and needs to be fixed by others. When the Eastern view is that your body is constantly healing and we just do things to support the healing. It doesn't get broken. and needs to be fixed. So I believe Mm -hmm. that the reason that we've lost trust in ourselves is a combination of extremely smart and predatory practices um, in ways of marketing from food companies and pharmaceutical companies that have told us that we should not trust ourselves and we, as a survival mechanism, want to take in as much information and make logical decisions as possible, as logical as possible. And I think that one of those has been, let's outsource our power, um, which does feel in the short term, like safer, but in the long term, it's absolutely not possible to get completely healthy if you're not the boss. So I, I, I think I just would it's not that people don't want to take accountability. It's that it's, they've learned through a trauma lens and through a societal mm-hmm. lens that it's the, um, it's the right thing to do. And we're all just, we're trying to do the right things. And, you know, I was having this conversation on a podcast earlier about, you know, people follow the dietary guidelines. Like, well, we do, people do these things. Well, our, our issues in health are really not a compliance or a willpower issue. They're much more a wrong guidance issue. And the guidance being listen to us, don't listen to you. Mm. We all know, like, obviously, right, that if we eat foods that are closer to their natural form, they're probably going to be healthier, right? We're aware that if we socialize with people and live lives of, of generosity and love, that we're going to feel healthier, right? Like, totally. we, we know these things, right? We do know them. At some point in time, we have literally been sold the lie that we don't know them. And that they're wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's yeah. exactly it. It's a protective mechanism. It's not unreasonable to yeah. understand how we get there. Us, I'm including all three of us yeah, in that. For sure. All of yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like this really strong and gentle reminder that you actually know exactly what you need. <laughs> yeah. You do. And you're the only one who knows exactly what you need. And that's, again, it's so scary. It's like, oh, I have to listen to myself to get healthy. Give me a freaking diet, Shapiro. I know it's not, (laughs) not, it's not sexy and it's not glorious and it's uncomfortable, but it's, it's really, there's only one shot. That's kind of the only, the the only way out is through, we say, right? The only way out is through. Um, So this is a huge, obviously, topic, the overarching realm of what your podcast talks about. So let's hear a little bit. Okay, definitely I want to hear about the podcast and then where people can find you, how people can reach out to you, the ways in which you can maybe support people either directly or through different resources. Tell us all the goods. I will. And first of all, thank you so freaking much. This was literally one of the most enjoyable and funny (laughs) 
I've ever been on. Like I'm Yay. so I am so elated. I literally hope you leave in all the weird stuff and I, I hope people Oh if, we if are. Of course we are. Really did it. Like this is this is a test. You see, this is a test of discomfort. If you made it through the really not funny weird <laughs> stuff that we were doing, yeah. You freaking listen, this was good. I actually would say you probably should listen to yourself more and not listen. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is their podcast. Their podcast is freaking amazing. Um, so the podcast, I just made it quiet the diet. It's gonna be conversations just like this where we dive into things really deep, but with a really compassionate lens. And the goal is for people to understand how to achieve that bodily autonomy. How do you make decisions based on exactly what your body wants and nothing else? And I do that through conversations with all different types of practitioners, solo episodes where I explore, again, these different worlds and how to interpret them and how to ultimately make decisions for yourself. So it doesn't matter what topic we're looking at. We're looking at it through a functional nutrition lens and a compassionate lens the entire time. I'm so excited because I have been like so on the fence about podcasts. I know I'm literally 10 years late to the game, but I'm very, very <laughs> um, on Apple and Spotify, quiet the diet. And then you can find me on Instagram, Michelle Shapiro RD. I like to say that my Instagram is not like a fun, bubbly place. It's like, just like this, like you have everything I say, you're like, wait, can I think about that for a second? Cause it's super middle ground, super nuanced. So if you want to think it's fun to be on my page and get some, some awesome information, I have a one-on-one practice. that's totally virtual that I see clients in for three and six month programs for those three health conditions, anxiety, gut issues, and body neutral approach to weight lovingly. And I have a fantastic staff dietitian who just started seeing clients as well in my practice, Nikki. She's amazing. Literally starting last week. And by the time this airs, probably a couple weeks, but um, Mm -hmm. she is absolutely fabulous. And for so long, I've wanted to see more people, even though I've seen a thousand and it's been a lot of clients seeing in my years, but I wanted to be able to see people at at an easier price point. And that's why I was really extra excited to bring Nikki on who uses the exact same approach that I do and has been trained for me by a year um, to do that. So that's super exciting too. Amazing. Amazing. And all you guys, all of that will be in the notes for you, of course. And I am begging you to please make sure we'll put a link to her podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be hysterical. If you've made it this far, you'll really enjoy it. <laughs> but if you didn't make it this far, don't listen to it. No, I'm kidding. Listen to my podcast. No, of course, listen <laughs> to your podcast. podcast. And then also write a rating and review and subscribe. Is that what you say at the end of podcast? Yeah, if you definitely. Have a podcast yeah. today, please leave a rating. Please leave a review. Exclude Michelle and her weird stuff. From <laughs> no, leave her in there. Them in the review. Leave Michelle in there. But exactly. leave Michelle in there. But more importantly, make sure you tell Megan Kylie how awesome we are. <laughs> in addition to the Michelle part, more so tell Megan Kylie how amazing. <laughs> In the in the reviews section, is that what you said? In the please yeah. review. But listen to yourself. But listen to yourself and your own inner knowing and your authentic voice. Don't leave a review in our voice. Leave a review in your voice. No, no. I need to be clear. I don't need anybody's voice. I don't need anybody's bitch voices leaving us reviews. All right, you leave those bitch voices at home. Okay. I want your sharing that exactly. <laughs> we don't want those kind of reviews. We want only authentic reviews, and by authentic, we mean the very nice versions and parts. We of mean that are five star. I mean the five star versions, the queen varieties. We need that's what the coddling version. That's what we want. I need to be exactly. We will accept <laughs> coddling reviews, and we will accept authentic reviews, but we do not accept cruel reviews. No, that's, that's right. 
No, thank you. No, thank you. Meg's authentic voice is Meg's authentic voice. This is her. This is her. I'm giving you the character. It's a mushroom. It's a mushroom in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has glitter stripper. Pretty glittery. Oh, yes. You're a mushroom in. It's like yeah. It's like combined with toad. It's plus. Sparkly stripper heels. <laughs> oh, you said we said stripper heels. We said stripper heels. Yeah. Oh, like a little sparkly kind of, stripper heels. Kind of Bowser then, because there's like a it's, there's a, a BDSMness about Bowser with his spiky back. This, <laughs> this is great, Meg. This is what we should if do. If there was ever anybody who felt like they didn't understand you, we just fixed that problem. Exactly. I have I have a problem pitch for us. You can cut this or not. I don't think you should. I think you should leave this. <laughs> As a who do we feel to ourselves is our most authentic voice as a Harry Potter character. Let's talk about that. I'm Luna. There's no question. I'm Luna. At my core. I have conflicting fans because sometimes I think I'm the Whomping Willow tree. Because I'm very like deep and intense and like this. I don't know if you can see the video. And tortured. <laughs> and tortured. And then sometimes I think I'm just literally Hagrid. Because I'm very sometimes and very mushy, and I just oh god, when he, that actor died, oh my god, I was freaking out. Yeah, so exactly. I know. Don't, don't. <laughs> sometimes I feel sometimes I feel like I'm Snape, just living in different worlds, playing different roles that nobody can know about. <laughs> but I think we I don't think want Snape. We, don't want, we want Alan Rickman's voice in our heads, but we don't really want Snape's voice to be the predominant voice in our heads. The Whomping no. Willow has no voice. That's a problem. <laughs> That's the ultimate problem. Can we just actually, I think the real problem here is that, Meg, have, you've never read Harry Potter. No. Ew. Yeah, I knew it. I know. I, knew it. I know. I have so yeah. many, like, so many of my closest, closest friends are, like, really big fans. And so, I don't know. It's not that I have anything against it. I'm, like, I think it's a cool story. Yeah. I just. I, I have to just... get you now. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way. This is the second functional nutrition podcast that I went on that derailed into like hardcore Harry Potter territory. I went on Liz, <laughs> Liz who was like an OG, brilliant functional nutritionist, like OG paleo. And we like did 20 minutes of Harry Potter. And I'm like, we got to, we got to reel it in the two of us. Oh and I did God. it. I've done it again. It's not good. You know what I, I think it is now? I think I've just gotten so far behind. Like it's going to be, I'm like almost intimidated by catching up on all the, like with Let all the Let me ask books, you a question but- then. Do you want to have a will to live? And do you want to be happy? Because then you'll read the books. It's only if you want to be happy in your life. That's the only reason you'd want to read it. You want to have a reason to be alive. That would be the only reason reading it. Do you see how she really boiled this down into a really basic thing? She's just constantly simplifying things. Meg, do you have a will to live or not? It's very simple. I think you know the answer. So expect... And you were sad? Yes, yeah, because you haven't read the Harry Potter books. There's no sadness when <laughs> you've read the Harry Potter books. None. I think Meg might be a Luna too, to be honest with you. I, this really? is what I'm doing. All right, here we go. This is gonna we're gonna close out with this. Okay. Ha- <clears throat> Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. If one only <laughs> if only one remembers to turn to turn on the light. <laughs> Tell me that, that I didn't know the quote. <laughs> and with that, good night. Thank you so much for listening to Curious Women. 
If you love our show, you can support us by leaving us a five-star rating and review. And if you know someone else who would really love our show, please share it with them too.